I'm excited to announce our guest speakers for today. So we have Mark and Deline Good with us. They are missionaries to France, and they do campus ministry as well as church planting there. I actually met them in 2020, right before COVID got crazy. They were speaking at Cross Point in Waverly, and that's where we were attending in that little period before we planted. And it was an amazing message, and I felt like the Lord really pushed me to say, hey, start giving to them now as a church, and we weren't a church yet, but I felt like the Lord said, this is your first missionary couple to support. So we started supporting them way back then, and it's such a blessing now to have them here uh, to get to share. They also serve as the area directors for, for Western Europe for the AG, or it's called AGUM, so Assemblies of God World Missions, or AGWM, Assemblies of God World Missions. So they serve as the area directors for Western Europe. So they're gonna share about Europe, they'll share about France, and I'm excited to hear their hearts. So go ahead and come now, Mark, and, and let's give him a round of applause as he comes. And it's so good to be here. Um, our first time in Cedar Falls. Um, we were down the road in Waterloo, you know, a few years ago. But, um, you know, being Pastor Appreciation Month, I, I don't know. It, it, I, I'm coming in from having just, you know, met Daniel and, um, and, and being the first missionary and then coming in and seeing what's here a few years later. Um, you know, we, the vision and the trust and the steps of faith that it takes to Put yourself out there and believe God. Um, man, what, a, what an amazing thing. And, and I know you have a great team. We came in early. We saw the team here that's serving. Um, man, we're just blown away at what God has, is doing. And what a privilege for us to be the first missionaries. You guys have blessed us. And I think that step of faith of saying, hey, before we're even a church, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna put our priorities right. We're gonna get our eyes on, on the world and the needs and not just us. And, and by even taking that small step of faith, the blessing comes and you guys have been recipients of that. So wonderful to be here. Thank you for having us. Um, we're the, the goods. And uh, I think we have a picture up there of our daughter, Emma. She is um, 23 on Tuesday and studying uh, social work down at University of um, Texas Arlington. And um, you know, we couldn't have kids for 12 years. We thought that that was, I guess, God's choice for us, but we were about to give up hope. We prayed, we tried to partner, and uh, there was a, a missionary to, uh, actually a pastor to Indonesia that when we were in Bangladesh previously as missionaries who just um, saw us and, and, and he prophesied over us. He said, I, be, I believe you're going to have a baby in a year. God's going to bless you and prayed over us. And, and that prophecy came to pass and Emma was our miracle child. And so we're so thankful um, that for God's blessing. Um, you know, having the name Good is, is not easy. I'm Pastor Good. It's kind of a high bar to always live up to. Um, you know, I told Daylene when we were dating, I said, I'm going to make you good. And, uh, and she said, no, I already dated a guy named Frank Better, so get out of here, you know. Yeah, so you can tell what kind of relationship we have. Uh, people will say, I don't know your last name. I'll say, good. And so I don't have too many friends, but um, anyway. And, and lastly, I went to school, uh, Bible school with a guy named Scott Sinner. He became a pastor. So he's Pastor Sinner. I'm Pastor Good. I got the better end of the deal. I, I believe that. But, um, you know, we, thought, we never thought we'd be in Europe, honestly. A missionary to Bangladesh came to our churches when I was uh, eight, dealing with uh, seven. And we both felt through this same missionary's ministry that we were called to Bangladesh. Um, I ran from the call. I didn't want to be a missionary. Daylene was faithful. She pursued it. 
we met in Bible school. God reminded me of my call. And um, we, we set out to go to Bangladesh. And we were there for 14 years. And Europe, quite honestly, was the last place we ever thought that we would be. I mean, we were ministering among unreached people groups, the 1040 window, a restricted Muslim context. And then God called us away from there. And I'll tell that story in a little bit. But um, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about Europe, about why Europe is, um, is a mission field. And one of the, the things that when we go around and we cast vision for Europe, we have um, a sort of a, 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 a theme that we call lose yourself. Lose yourself. And, it, and it's taken from Mark um, 8.35 where uh, Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, would, would lose himself for my sake and the gospel, that he would find life. You will find life. And so, you know, people go to Europe for, for decades uh, to find themselves. And yet, um, what Europe is racked by is something called a, a radical form of secularism that had its birthplace in France. France is ground zero for this secular mentality. They kicked God out of the country, basically, a couple hundred years ago. And they, what they did during the Enlightenment is they elevated reason, intelligence, and science to be God. And, you know, when you do that, when you replace God with something else, it could be power, it could be money, it could be pleasure, it could be a substance for your source of life, that thing will eventually dominate you and destroy you. Um, and what France did is they elevated reason. And, you know, today France is the, is the largest consumer of psychotropic drugs in the world to treat uh, mental illness and, and emotional handicap problems. Um, we've never seen so much bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, suicides, depression. It's rampant there. And part of it is because when, when you're responsible, when you say, um, and, and here's what secularism, secularism is not you know, just about those woke people over there, you know, these, these cultural wars that we tend to have in America and you know, the right and the left. Secularism is replacing God as the center of life with self. And saying, I get to choose what I believe and what I practice. I choose all kinds of things. My gender, you know, my... And, and self becomes, becomes the center, the orientation of your life. But when that happens, we were never designed to, to support ourselves, to decide our future. And what happens is the secular Europeans are, are just being crushed under the load of having to figure out life for themselves. Because sometimes when you think you're free, you're, you're not in liberty. Ultimate freedom for self actually ends up in bondage. And so, so much of, of, of Europeans are, um, are just crushed under the weight of this secularism. So we, we're calling for a generation of young people to say, you know what, I will go and lose myself for the sake of the gospel among a people who think that the answer to life is, is elevating yourself and to living for yourself. And, um, and as we do that, we have, a, we have a training hub in the city of Grenoble, France, where we're at. So when we went there, we planted a church, a, a student ministry, actually started as a student ministry and then became a church. We have a, an anti-trafficking ministry called Peril Dupree that's connected with Project Rescue. Um, we have immigrant ministry um, and, and as we uh, have these ministries now that we have been able to turn over to, to other uh, leaders, 
we are there uh, mentoring and training uh, future missionaries. So we have five couples, uh, about 12 kids among us and five singles. So about 27 of us are there in that city, and we, they, we train them in language and culture and, and, and missions, and then we mobilize them out to plant churches in other parts of Europe. So we have a privilege to do that. And I just want to encourage you that as you swim in these waters of, of an increasingly secular culture, and the temptation is for us to sort of, us decide what makes us happy, us decide what we're going to do with our life, us decide how I'm going to spend my money, me to decide all those things. You know, that's not how Jesus called us to live. He called us to come to him and say, Lord, you're the Lord. You're the center of my life. You call the shots. I trust you. I trust you. And I pray that uh, as we close this service, you'll come away with an even greater confidence to be able to trust him with everything in your life. So we're going to turn to um, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, 32. Um, This may seem like it's, wait a minute, this is like a Christmas passage. And I know there's some of you out there that are all, man, you're ready. You're ready for Christmas. Uh, yep. you, you're already playing Christmas carols and, you know, breaking out. You know, you're, you're, you've even already moved past, you know, uh, pumpkin spice lattes and you're, you're headed into Christmas. Uh, in my house and in my team, Christmas carols are not allowed until after Thanksgiving. Can I get an amen from anybody in the house? All right, all right, okay. So, um, but this is not a Christmas message. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a text about a guy named Simeon. And in verse 25, it says, at that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. So occasionally when we're traveling around, people, you know, they know that, um, that where we serve, and they'll say, how's the radiation in Chernobyl? And, and, we're, and we just are like, well, actually, we live in, in Grenoble. Um, and with the best glowing smile that we have, we say, well, that, you know, that happened in Ukraine uh, so long ago. But we can't blame them because no one's ever heard of Grenoble. You know, Paris, um, maybe Toulouse or Marseille or one of these other towns, but Grenoble. You know, why there? And, and, we, and we know that, that it, the only reason why we know about Grenoble is because God, of all the cities of the world, God took that, that city and he put it on our heart. We had a dream about Grenoble. We were visiting um, in Europe and we were teaching on reaching Muslim students to a gathering of university leaders all over Europe one summer. And uh, we were in Paris and we were taking our daughter to, uh, to Paris Disneyland. And the night before, I had this vivid dream about the city of Grenoble. I'd never been there before in my life. And, and I was standing on the balcony of a, of a guest house, and there was a river that was flowing, and people were drowning. There was, it was flooded, and uh, people were drowning and crying out for help. And I was dry and safe, and I couldn't help them, and I was watching them die. And my heart was breaking. And, and then I woke up, and the Holy Spirit said, you're going to go there for the second half of your ministry. And we thought, man, that's that's crazy. So we, I, I woke up, I told Aileen, we had to look it up on the internet. What is Grenoble? Does it exist? Where is it? 
And, and God just, and, and you know, it was, it was uh, probably from that dream, maybe two years from then, that we were taking all 10 of our suitcases with our daughter and we were launching into this new unknown future that God had for us in Grenoble. You know, Simeon, this is similar to where Simeon was at. Simeon had been in the temple and it was a regular occurrence for people to bring their babies to the temple to be circumcised. It was custom. And so um, of all the children that might have been there that day with their parents, the Lord signaled to Simeon and said, this is your moment. This is not just any other child. This is a child that my hand is upon. God singled out this promised moment for him. And, you know, I think that for us, when we come to um, uh, a mission sort of emphasis like today, what's important to realize is that, you know, God has a worldwide plan. He has a grand plan. And we're here to hear about his heart for Europe and, and the nations. But, but he also has a plan for your life, definitely. He has a purpose and, and things that he has set out for you to do, like Acts 70, 26. From one man, he created all the nations of men, that, but, and he decided the, the places where they should live and the times that they would live. And so he has his hand on your life. And, and what we want to do this morning is not just hear about Grenoble or the goods ministry, but to say, Lord, in this grand plan of what you want to do, kingdom building, what's, what's my part in that? How does, how does your plan for my life intersect with your grand plan? And this is what Simeon was, was realizing. He was realizing that there was a grand purpose that God had for the entire world, but he had a part to play in it. And in every, every uh, team, there, there are key players of a team. And Simeon was a key player. So whether it's uh, Lionel Messi or Kylian Mbappe, if you're a soccer fan, we all know that Mbappe beats Messi every time. But... Um, Actually, no, that's not true because Argentina won the World Cup. But anyway, Simeon was not a superstar, but he was just being faithful in God's plan for his life. It says in verse 25, he was righteous and devout. He was just being faithful in the temple, serving God. But that day he knew that it was going to be more than just a baby dedication. Can you imagine if Pastor Daniel, when he, uh, he gave a baby dedication uh, and he stood up and all of a sudden he said, you know what? This baby is going to be the next president of the United States. This, this baby that I'm holding, I feel like God is saying is going to discover the cure to cancer. I mean, to have an audacious declaration of one baby among hundreds of babies that pass through that temple. How audacious, how, how incredibly trusting of God. And if anyone who dares to take their place among a busy, disinterested people has the boldness to declare that Jesus is the Savior of the world, if that's you on your campus and in your workplace and in your neighborhood, if you're willing to stand up and to say, I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, then you also are a key player in God's plan. And I believe that there are faithful people here today, and you're like Simeon, who is looking for God to show up and do something about the corruption or the compromise or the tyranny or the violence or the oppression of people where you know things are not right. This is not how God intended for our world to be. God has greater plans for our community and our nation and our world. And we live in this tension where we believe in a powerful God, have great faith in God, and that great faith causes us to know he can do anything. 
and the things that he wants to do, but there's also a great compassion in our hearts that says, I see the suffering and I see the injustice in our world. And I don't know how to reconcile those two things, but I believe that God wants to do something about it. That's what we're here to talk about. God, I know you have something more than I've already seen. God spoke to uh, Simeon and, and said he was gonna see it. Verse 25, he was looking for the consolation of Israel, that Israel would be free of that oppression. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him he was going to see the Messiah. So as we look at our world this morning, and I believe that we need to say, God, I believe you're wanting to do more, more lost souls saved, more churches planted, more gospel going out, more injustice vanquished, more suffering people rescued. The passage says that God's spirit was on Simeon and we have his spirit within us, but he wants to give us a vision, a vision for his answer to what plagues our cities and our world. And so if, you're, if that's something in your heart, then as Simeon, I believe that you can believe for God to do three things for you and me if that's our heart. The first is that God will position us. He'll position us. And, and every one of these things actually comes with a question, though. God wants to position you, but the question is, are you movable? Are you movable? It says in verse 27, that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, he was there. So he'd been waiting for this promised moment. He'd been believing for the Messiah. But he had to have a heart that could be moved in an instant. Otherwise, he could have missed his big moment. And so for us, you know, as we, as we stepped out to go to Grenoble, you know, it really started with a word that we received from uh, a, a young man named uh, Gerald Meyer. So we were teaching this course on reaching Muslim students. He was a school teacher in Reunion Islands, which is a French territory, but it's in the Indian Ocean. And he had come to this conference from thousands of miles to learn how to better reach Muslim students. And he was in my class. And we had a time of prayer after this. And during this prayer time, he, he said, man, I, I feel like the Lord is giving a picture. And, and he goes, I don't really know how to say this, but I, I got this picture of you guys being trapped in a spider's web and, and it being a very dangerous time. You were in great danger, but then I saw you delivered from that and it was followed by green pastures. And so we we're like, all right, we'll take the second half of that word. <laughs> you know, we like that part really good, you know? And, but we didn't know what it meant. And you know, maybe you've had someone speak a word over your life and you're like, thanks. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see about that. You know, you just kind of go on. Um, and we did, we just took it. Um, so so kind of hold your, your finger there in the story with Gerald Meyer, okay? We'll come back to Gerald. So we go, we have this dream about Grenoble, and we're like, okay, God, what are you doing? This word, this dream. And so we head back to Bangladesh, where um, after 10 years of, of um, doing full-time student ministry there, we'd had a student ministry in three cities that we planted. Finally, we were able to see our vision of a, a church planting training school for Muslim background believers, students that had come to Christ out of Islam and now had a call to full-time ministry. We had a, a training center that, was, that we had opened. And um, so as we go back, um, this is about, I don't know, a number of months later, I have another dream. Now it sounds like I dream a lot, I really drool mostly, but um, this time these dreams were, were really vivid and I, I, I'm, I'm talking to a guy named Shofiq. Shofiq had been with us for, for a year. 
and he was sent to us, not out of our student ministry because we didn't know him before this. He was sent by a, a, a pastor who had recommended him. So we took him into our, our school. And, you know, we trusted this guy. We, we, we loved him like a son. And um, I'm talking to him in my dream, and he's got this long uh, Islamic beard changes. So, so first of all, he's normally clean cut, but he morphs in the dream, and he changes. He's got this long Islamic beard. He looks like he's going to the mosque to pray, and uh, he's got his eyes changed to being really hard, really angry. And then he changes back again. And uh, in my dream, he's saying, um, someone's trying to kill you. So I don't know what this dream means, and, and yet Shofiq had been gone for a couple of weeks. He'd asked permission to go visit his grandfather who was sick. And so he was late coming back, and we couldn't get a hold of him. And then finally he shows up, and he had actually showed up the day before, but I hadn't seen him yet. And so I'm thinking, oh, maybe God's trying to tell me something. you know? So I go down to our center, and I knock on his door, and there's no answer. I know he's in there. And I keep knocking, and finally he opens the door. And his eyes are the same as the dream. And, and, I'm, and I go in, I said, Shofiq, I'm, I'm just concerned about it. I'm not sure what's going on. You were late coming back. Are you okay? And, 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 and then I said, I had this dream about you. And when I said that, he got really interested. He said, well, tell me the dream. And I related it to him. And then he just, he just hung his head. He goes, Man, I, Mark, I don't, I don't know what I would do with me if I were you. And, and I'm like, well, I thought maybe what'd you do? You know, did you go, did you mess up, you know? Uh, were you there? Did you kind of go back to the mosque and pray or whatever? And he said, Mark, no. He said, I'm not who you think I am. He said, um, I've, I've been here undercover. I was sent here by my Al-Qaeda terrorist group. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cell leader in this city. And I've been taking information on you and every church in this city. And he said, today was the day that we had planned to destroy this place and all of you. And, um, but he said, don't worry. He said, I've already called it off. I wasn't seeing my grandfather. I was seeing my leader in another village. And I told him, we're not doing this. We're, we're, these are not enemies of Islam and I can't go through with it. And see, what was happening is he kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because he couldn't follow through. He came with the intent, but he experienced Jesus along the way. And he realized that Jesus actually was greater than Muhammad. And he said, I want to leave my group, but I just can't leave them. You're going to have to help me. We didn't know if he was telling the truth. It took us a while to uncover the whole story. He had been um, stealing money from our offerings and, and taking them up to training camps of Islamic militants in, this, in the hills around Chittagong where we lived. Our, our world was, was completely just undone. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. Um, and... And so we walked this path of, of helping our staff. You know, we had parents telling us, um, you got to get our, our granddaughter out of there. It's not safe. But we had been, with this church planting group, we had been reading Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is a book of the history of martyrs in the church, those who had given their lives throughout history. We read a chapter a day, and I would tell them, this could be your heritage. This could be the, the price that God calls you to make to plant churches in the Muslim world. And what I couldn't do is say, that was for you, but because I have an American passport, I'll see you later. I really wasn't talking about me. And we had to walk them through nine months of altering our path, of following the Holy Spirit, of, of responding and, and, and not walking in fear, but walking in, in wisdom. 
And you know, today, Shofik is, is serving Jesus. And, and, and we didn't know that when he said, leave here and go, God was already preparing our hearts about going. We didn't go in fear. We went in obedience because we're thinking, okay, Lord, you really are. This is the spider's web. This is, this is you. But we didn't know what all that meant. So when we stepped out to go to Grenoble, we were like starting over at midlife, learning a new language. No one knew us. It was hard. It was hard. But as we begin to plant and, and learn the language, about 2013, something happened called the Arab Spring. And it unleashed immigrants that came and flooded into Europe, millions, millions that came into Europe. And you know what the church was saying? We can't let them in. We can't let these people in because the, 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 the whole ISIS thing had been happening and been shut down and now they were afraid that there were ISIS terrorists that were among the immigrants and saying there could be terrorists among them. We can't open our doors. And we knew that God had prepared us with a message to say, you know what? Even if there are terrorists among them, we can trust God to protect us. And you know what? God can even save a terrorist. Let me tell you our story. You see, God was positioning us ahead of time. He was taking the story and the events and the things he planned and he was using it for a greater purpose. And we had to be willing to be moved. He wanted to position us, but we had to be willing to be movable. And it was hard to move. It was hard to take that step of faith. It was hard to turn our backs on 300, 150 million people and to trust God. But I want you to know you can trust him. You can trust him. And as we were there, um, we started our, our, our anti-trafficking ministries. We had a team member that had a heart for that and we stepped out. One time we were invited to a, a, a group of uh, people that were involved in that, in that work in the city. There was Catholics and, and there was atheist social workers that were there. And they, were, and they came to this meeting. These social workers came and said, there's, there's some Nigerian women that have been trafficked into this city and they speak English and we don't speak English. And they said um, the, their traffickers used all this kind of witchcraft on them and, um, and posed as actually pastors and tricked them. And, and now they are under these sort of spells that they wear these jujus that have been sort of cursed. And they're afraid and, and they have these, they, these, these um, manifestations. And, and they said, we know it's not emotional and we know it's spiritual, but we don't know how to deal with it. And we realized that around that table, we were the only English-speaking, Pentecostal people in the room. And it was like, we're here. We're, we're uniquely positioned here for this need that's before us. You know, God did this with Philip. It says, the angel of the Lord said to Philip in Acts 8, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he moved, he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official, and was able to explain Isaiah to him. And this eunuch went back, and even the Ethiopian church says that he was the forerunner of the Ethiopian church today. So it says in verse 27, when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, Simeon was there. And here's what we can say about our life if we'll say, Lord, here's my life. So when he brings a key student to my campus, I'm there. So when someone who has just had a dream about Jesus is searching for an answer, maybe I'm there. So that when you need a financial miracle and someone is looking to help you with that financial miracle, you're there. God wants to position you, but you've got to be willing to move.
Secondly, God will provide for you. God will provide if you step out and obey him. But the question is, what will you do with the blessing? What will you do with the blessing? God told Simeon he would see the redemption, but it turned out to be more complete than that. He actually got to hold the provision of the answer to what plagues the world in his hands. And he speaks to all the priests in the room and to the family. And what a wonderful moment. He's been waiting all his life for the Messiah, and the Lord says, there he is. And not only does he get to see the Messiah, he gets to hold the Messiah. And at some point, he's got to give the baby back. At some point, it kind of gets awkward, and Mary and Joseph are like, hmm, can we have Jesus back, you know? <laughs> we, we had that in Bangladesh. We took our daughter Emma back when she was three months, and people would just want to come and take her and take her away, and we're like, hey, excuse me, you know. So he held the promise. He got to hold the promise, hold the fulfillment, hold the thing that he'd been believing God for. But there came a point where he had to give it back and give it back. God's personal provision always has a broader intention. God's personal provision is meant to bless us and to meet our needs, but it's also for a bigger intention. Verse 29, he says, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. He's like, Lord, you can take me now. I'm ready to go. What God gave him to satisfy him in that moment was actually intended to bless thousands and thousands more because he realized that it was the Messiah for the Savior of the world. You see, God often wants to provide more for us, but first, he wants to know if what he has given to us can be gotten through us to bless others. I have a friend named Johannes, and he's German, and he met his wife, Stephanie, who's American, in Bangladesh on a mission trip. And uh, they got married, and they were living in Erfurt, Germany, about the time this refugee crisis was happening in about 2015 at this point. And they were um, just barely making it. They were two university students. He was a PhD candidate, and he was applying for jobs at a university, and he was really having trouble finding anyone to hire him. And uh, she was, they were just barely making ends meet, barely had enough food, but they, they heard that there were all these Syrian refugees that were coming into their city. And Johannes and Stephanie said to themselves, we just can't stand by it and watch this. No, no one was reaching out. There were no programs, no social services were, were doing anything. And they said, we don't have much. But they just took some food that they had from their cupboard and they went down to where the refugees were being held and they started passing out food. And they decided to take an Arabic Bible and to kind of put it on the shelf of their house and, 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 and invite a, a, a Syrian couple over uh, just to see if God would open a door for them to maybe share the gospel. But that wasn't their intention. They were just wanting to uh, befriend them and meet needs. And so they invited this Syrian couple to come and eat at their house, a very simple meal. And while they were there, the, the Syrian uh, husband, he looked up and he said, hey, is that, is that in Arabic? What is that? And Johanna said, well, it's a Bible. And he said, oh, I've, never, I've never read the Bible before. Could, could I borrow it? And so they said, sure, you can borrow it, you know, and, and he took it and, and, and this family began to ask questions and begin to um, open their hearts to who Jesus was in their life. And you know what? After that meal, the very next day, Johannes got a call 
from the university that he had been hoping to get a job in, and they called him and said, you got the job. You see, this, this is how God is. It's like when we, we may not have much, we may feel like, you know, I'm not in a position where I can do a whole lot for, you know, for this uh, uh, kingdom builder's big offering coming up. You know, I'm on a budget. I'm looking for a job. We may not have much, but you know, it's not about how much we have. It's whether we're saying, God, what I have is yours. And I'm willing to take whatever blessing you've given me and realize as I give it back, you have a much better, much larger intention for what you want to do in my life. It's not just my needs, but the needs of others. God will provide for you. And we can tell you, as we've stepped out in faith, we're, we've been doing this now. Um, we've been married for 35 years in full-time ministry all that time. And you know, he has never, ever let us down. So many times we've stepped out in faith and just said, God, you're going to have to supply the need. And he has. He's never, he's never failed. But, you know, lastly, God will prepare you. If we're willing to say, God, I, I, I want to be faithful. Here I am. I'm believing you for more. I think there's something greater you're trying to do in my life and in my world. God will prepare you with a vision. But the question is, do you need a new perspective? Do you need a new perspective? You know, there's times when we're driving around and, and I'll look at something like a business and a restaurant will say, hey, is that new? That restaurant, and, and Dalene will say, I know that's not the first time you've seen that. You know, because I'm driving and she's there, you know, looking out the window and, and of course, I, I've missed it for the last, you know, number of weeks or months. Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm so driven. And this is what can happen in our life. We're so driven to accomplish our goals you know, to get the degree, to earn the income, to accomplish our dreams, and, but that we, 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 we don't have a perspective of what's around us. Simeon held Jesus, a small little vulnerable baby, but he saw something more. He saw something more. He would be the first one to actually speak the plan of God for this baby and to say he's not just the Messiah for the Jews. He's to be the Savior for the whole world. He had that audacity. He said in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, a light of revelation for the Gentiles. So what about us? What about when God's provision for us is in the infancy stage? We're just getting a new job. When the promise of his life is just beginning to unfold. I'm, I'm a freshman at the university, you know, my, my, my career is just starting out. I, I don't have much, it's, it's really just start. I don't know what this is gonna look like. People are asking me, what do you wanna do with your life? And I have no idea, I'm scared to death. Maybe you're coming to the end of your studies and, and you're thinking, man, next year, I gotta start looking for a job. It could be that, you know, um, you just started a new family or, or you just moved here. And, and things are just beginning to unfold. When what is new is still vulnerable and not yet established, we can still see with a prophetic vision of what will yet be. And God wants to give us that. So when we arrived in, in Grenoble, as I said, it was really, really hard to learn the language and to start all over again. And, and there were times when we just wanted to quit. We wanted to say, it, it's too hard. We call it a different kind of hard in Bangladesh. I mean, in, in France. People will say, wow, you know, Bangladesh was, um, it was a lot of being investigated by the special branch police and if we got caught doing any conversion work, we could be kicked out of the country. Um, 
stifling heat and humidity, poverty like you can't imagine, um, all kinds of difficulty. But you know what? We can engage people with the gospel. We can have conversations with people that believed in an afterlife and believed in a holy book and believed in the present angels and demons and, and all these things. And we could get to first base with them talking about religion. But you know what? In Europe, the apathy and, and, the, and the disillusionment with anything organized religion, they've moved on. And you can't even start at any point of contact with them about religion. And in France, they, they have you labeled. You're either Catholic or a cult. And so if you're Catholic, then we've already tried that, rejected that. If you're not Catholic, you're a cult, you're dangerous, I want nothing to do with you. So just trying to engage people is so difficult. I say, what's harder, to go to a place and open a sushi restaurant at a place where uh, they've never had raw fish before and they don't really like it and you're trying to convince them that it's good or go to a place where they used to have sushi restaurants everywhere but they all were, had the reputation of poisoning and killing people and trying to open up a new one. Well, they're both hard but that's what France is like. And we were struggling, and it was so difficult in this different kind of heart that we had. And we had um, our, our pastors from the States came and visited, and they were in our home, and, and man, they just read our mail. They, they, they had a time of prayer for us, and as we were in our house, and, and, they, and they just said, Mark and Lane, you said to yourself that you feel so alone and so forgotten, and, and no one cares. And, um, and then they said, but I want to tell you what we see in the Spirit. We see a church. We see this house full of people. We see a faithful team coming and, and, and joining you here. We see your, your ministry. And, and they, they said all the things that they saw. We didn't see any of those things, but they did. And so you know what we did? We wrote those things down. And then in the morning when we prayed, we would break out that list of things and, and we would begin to tell God, God, we believe the promise. You said this, you said this, you said this. Because how many of you, how many of your parents here? Anybody, how many of your parents in the room? Have you ever made a promise to your kids? If you made a, if you're made a, a, parent, a parent and you made a promise to your kids that we're gonna go to the park after school or we're gonna, we're gonna have ice cream tonight and you forget? Oh my goodness. Guess who never forgets? <laughs> the kids. And they're like, hey, you promised. You're like, oh yeah, I did. And they're not shy to say, Dad, Mom, you promised. And they'll remind you of it. And you know, we have a father who makes promises. And he's not offended when we say, but God, you promised. You promised me. You showed me this dream. You gave me this vision. You gave me this desire. And I haven't seen it yet. But Lord, I'm telling you, you promised. And I'm holding you to your promise. We know that all God's promises are yes and Amen. He promised us that we were going to see miraculous reconciliations and we began to see it where um, Muhammad came to our Alpha course and sat in the same discussion group as, as Jordan, who was an atheist. We saw both of them come to Jesus and, and as they came together, became best friends. We called them Mojo, Muhammad, Jordan, because they were so close God began to put in our heart a vision for asylum seekers and refugees and also revival. You know, we, we asked God to raise up people that would believe with us for revival. And, and we have a couple that joined us and now they're pastors of the church. 
And they just started a 24-7 prayer cafe that's been approved by the 24-7 prayer movement in Europe as, as the France representative. And we're down there in the inner city and we're believing for revival. You know, God's brought us faithful people and, and the vision has expanded. And I remember when, when I was walking around in a place called Villeneuve. Villeneuve was, a, a, it was designed in the 70s to be a place where they would bring uh, immigrants in 50% and then 50% French and they would all kind of get along in this utopian, wonderful arrangement that they had. And uh, the French ended up moving out a few years later and it became a, a slum where today the police only go in with riot gear. And um, I, was, I was walking through there one day and taking some photos during the day. And as I came out the other side of a building, I heard this sound, you know, like something going past my ear and then crash, there was just breaking glass. And then another one, boom, and it, another bottle, just inches from my ear. Someone up above and stories above was throwing down glass bottles at my head. And all I was doing was taking photos because I thought maybe one day we would have an outreach there, you know, and I was praying because I thought that maybe you know, reaching immigrants and Muslims in France because of our Bangladesh background, that was something that God had put on our heart. And I got a message that day. I heard it loud and clear. I threw up my hands and I said, I hear you, okay, I'm going, I'm going. What were they saying to me? The message I heard is, you don't belong here. Get out and never come back. And I heard that message. I went home, I told Dianne, I said, man, that was rough. And there was a fear in my heart to go back, to go back and keep praying, to go back and keep believing that God had a heart for these immigrants. You know, because what we do, well, if that's how they are, if that's how it is, man, you know, and we, what we do is our, our heart becomes offended or scared by whispers and experiences that we have. And it's hard for us to trust the promise because the voice that we're hearing is saying we can't. The voice that we're hearing is saying, don't even try. The voice that we hear says, you're not cut out for this. You're all kinds of messages, but what we've got to be able to do is to focus in on the promise of God for our lives and to say, don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let the spirit of this world intimidate you. I've called you. I have a plan for you. I have something for you to do for me. And though it's hard and though there's resistance and though there's a risk of ridicule and even injury, you know what? I've got your back. And so I decided to listen to a higher message and to go back and to keep praying in those neighborhoods and to pray that God would give us people. We, we would take people down there and we would pray and, and hope the Lord would speak to them. And it wasn't until the Lord called Mary Beth, former missionary to Lebanon, who spoke Arabic, took her down there to those neighborhoods and she began to pray. Lord began to put a vision on her heart. And today she's embedded in that community, getting into homes in those same apartments that house these immigrants. And a ministry has begun because we believe God's promise over the lives of the enemy. God will prepare you 
But do you need a new perspective? Do you this morning need a new perspective on your life? Maybe already this semester or this fall, there have been things that have come against you where you're struggling with doubt or with fear or, or just sort of inner, inner sort of insecurities. I believe today the Lord wants to speak to you about your life, your future, your finances, his plan for your life, how you can be involved, how he wants to connect you in deeper ways with his purposes and what he's doing in this church and in your community. We have to be willing, first of all, or willing to be moved. Moved out of our seat, moved out of our comfort zone to say, Lord, what do you want to say? We have to be willing to say, Lord, I want to hold on to the blessing because I'm kind of afraid, but I'm willing, Lord, to give you everything I have, all my resources, all my life, all my talents, and to say, Lord, here I am. Because I'm telling you, there, I'm going all the way back, all the way back to being called as a little boy to Bangladesh, all the way back to showing up in Bangladesh and starting out fresh and seeing what God did, but then coming to a place where it all seemed like it was exploding and blowing up and stepping out for another step of faith and seeing what God is doing. And I'm telling you, 35 years on, there's no place I wouldn't go for him. There's nothing I would not do because he's been so faithful, so faithful And if you hear any message this morning, you can trust him. You can trust him. Even when you don't know how it's going to turn out. But if you'll stay faithful and let him move you where he wants to, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Let me pray for you this morning as we close. Father, I pray in this moment, Lord, you would speak to every heart what you want to say to them. I don't know, Lord, your message for them, but take this message and cater it, Lord, exactly for what they need to hear, for what they need to hear. Touch, inspire, move on our hearts today in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me as the worship team's gonna lead us? I'm gonna invite you to come. If you need prayer, you guys have a prayer team that's here and they're gonna come and surround you and pray for you. But if anything in this message you feel was for you, you feel like you want to respond to God, you need to receive a word from Him, an encouragement, but just maybe you want to give something back or establish something with Him this morning, then you come as the worship team leads, okay? God bless you.